and welcome to EvenQ. Here, we have conversations on anything maritime. We hope to engage you with stories that bring out different perspectives. If you have a story to tell, reach out and we could tell you to the world together. Today, we have with us a person who I would think is the face of gender diversity and inclusion in the maritime industry, and not just in India, but across the world. If you listen to her, it would be difficult to bracket her as a fire-breathing activist for her cause, her cause being gender inclusion and diversity. She furthers it in the most measured, calm, but very effective way. She tirelessly works to further the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals number 5 to achieve gender equality and empower women. She heads the NVOCC arm of Sitara Shipping, a family-run business, specializes in overdimensional cargo, often carried in uh, open top of flat racks and sometimes in bulk. Uh, she founded the Vista in India and also the Maritime Shio. Welcome on board Evenkeel uh, Sanjum Sai Gupta, a crusader for gender inclusion and diversity. Thank you for coming on board. Thank you so much, Abhijit. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. I've been listening to a few of your earlier podcasts and interviews, and I heard the story about this uh, five-year-old girl who wanted to always join shipping. What were those kind of conversations that you would have at home? Would you want to share that story again? Absolutely. So it's actually two little girls in pigtails. Um, me as a five-year-old and with me, my sister. And we grew up in a family that was crazy about all things maritime. My father, Captain Sahi, uh, is a seafarer and he's really instilled the love okay. of the ocean. And I think we've inherited his passion for all things maritime. We grew up hearing about tales of his voyages the time there was a piracy attack, uh, the time there was the ship's engine stopped working and how they, you know, used, uh, set, uh, they made sails. So it was very fascinating. And as we were growing up, we would be going into the docks. When there was a ship in port, we would be going there. I remember climbing on uh, the rope ladder, getting onto the ship, meeting the crew, experiencing the whole uh, experience uh, of being on board the vessel, seeing how my father was getting work done, loading different cargoes. So dinner table conversations between him and my mom uh, became more inclusive as we would ask questions. And I think that sort of sparked an interest. And I knew very young that I wanted to get into the maritime industry. I also heard you speak of, uh, you know, going to a, a, a seminar, a shipping-related seminar, where you were sort of disappointed that the whoever were the, who the speakers were, you know, they sort of addressed everyone saying "Good morning, gentlemen," not realizing that you know there was a very successful decision maker of a of a different gender among the listeners. Uh, did that also light a spark somewhere? Yes, I think that was the turning point. So back to two thousand one. But my sister and I would attend a lot of these industry association dinners and gatherings. More often than not, we would be the only woman in the room. Not to say that there was any disrespect or people didn't accept us. But at the same time, we kind of felt uh, isolated, maybe a very strong word. But 
I'll still use it. And this particular incident I remember very clearly. The reason being is that time it was Mrs. Neera Sagi. She was the chairperson of the then JNP Port Trust. Mm-hmm. She was in the room, a very senior lady. Yet the speaker, and I won't say his name, but I do know him and I don't want to put him in a spot, did address the gathering as gentlemen. I then realized that it was not so much that he did it on purpose, but rather the industry has been so male-dominated that it just came as a second nature for the speakers to be used to just seeing gentlemen in the room. However, it did irk me so much so that I went back to the office, googled women in shipping to know if there was a platform just for women, and voila, there was the Vista website. I wrote to Vista International at that time and they did send me brochures, I remember, for a conference that was going to take place in South Africa, if I'm not mistaken. Me and my sister, we did try to gather support, ask other women in the industry, though there were very few in, uh, women in the industry who were visible at that time, whether we wanted to set up Vista in India. At that time, we had uh, the chairperson of the Bombay Port Trust also was Ms. Rani Jadav, another senior lady. But surprisingly, we couldn't find a lot of women interested. And then it just fell on the back burner. So many years passed. And of course, I got more experience in the industry. Me and my sister, we were setting up the business, the the ODC segment. And fast forward to 2012, I decided that maybe this is time to try again. And some things just made me realize that the time was right. And I was quite positive. Things did go through at that time. We got a fair amount of response from women in the industry. And gathering the first 10 members, we officially launched Vista in India in December 2012. You had to wait almost a decade? Yes, almost a decade. And I think the time was not right at that time. Maybe the time was right at this time. Maybe... The industry was not ready. Maybe I was not ready to able to get so many people together. I also heard Vista sort of got about uh, uh, 80, 85 odd members in hardly any time. That was sort of uh, uh, much more than uh, what uh, Vista International had. So it's, I think, uh, the first year itself, we were close to 80. We were, I think, 78. And we've kind of constantly been there. We've been close to 100. I still think that's very less compared to the number of women that are working in the industry. But in certain cases, we do have drawbacks or challenges when women say that they don't have time to be part of an association, but just merely securing membership, but not being able to give it time. They have a lot of responsibilities. They're just barely coping with office and home. So there are a few reasons why a lot of women choose not to take membership or not to continue with the membership. But we decided to focus on quality rather than quantity. So, of course, all women in the maritime industry in India are open to be a member, women at management level. However, it is their choice. Certain women feel that, no, we don't want to join an association where only women are members. They are against that whole concept. And what I say to them is that the purpose of WISTA is not to kind of segregate women or separate them from the industry, it's rather to integrate. Because we learn from each other's experiences, we get invited as Vista to various events. 
and we get a lot of visibility. So that's important. And I don't see there's anything that could be wrong in there. I think as women, we do have our unique challenges. And it's always good to hear and learn from other senior women in the industry. For example, Mrs. H.K. Joshi, who's the CMD of Shipping Corporation of India. She's part of our group. She's very encouraging. And she keeps sharing things and motivates uh, us, the rest of the younger lot, to do more or to aspire more. For that reason, I think it's really essential that women have that sort of platform. And I'm so happy that Vista India has given that platform to so many women. Definitely. I think most associations, professional associations, have this challenge with the members not finding time. It's always left to a few to lead the way. And not only that, uh, if you see the other shipping associations, of course, shipping being male-dominated, you see a lot of suits in the room or on their board. But they usually have one token women. And I feel that's not the best thing to do because you have those same women who are part of the same boards. It's time to open it up. It's time to have women for their expertise and not to have them as the token women in the room and to give a lot of new faces the opportunity to join boards because there are a lot of very talented young women out there just waiting for the opportunity. So in that sense, I think that the industry needs to open up and be more welcoming to these women. There is another uh, thing that I have realized that if it's a woman and if she's not 100% competent, then it's very quick for people to point out and say, oh, you know what, she's not good enough. But at the same time, if it was a man and he was at the same level of competency, nobody would link it to his gender. That's something that I've noticed very often. And of course, there are going to be all sorts of professionals, men and women. They are going to have different capabilities. But for some reason, if a woman isn't capable enough, it's kind of linked to her gender that she's a woman and, you know, she's not good enough. That, I think, needs to change. Women have to do that extra bit to prove themselves, maybe, in the in the industry now. Absolutely. Another thing that I, when I go through your, when I go through the reports, I find this very dismal figure of two uh, percent, which is the proportion of women seafarers, and ninety four percent of these two percent are women in the cruise industry. That is disheartening, isn't it? Yes, it is, and I agree. It's very difficult for a lot of people to accept that women would want to choose a career where they are sailing on, say, cargo ships. So, for example, when I was growing up and I had written this article recently for Ice One, and there I specifically mentioned that despite growing up in a very progressive family, my father was a seafarer, neither my sister and I even considered an option to go to sea because there was no role model in front of us. It was not that common at that time. I'm sure maybe there were, my dad would talk about, you know, he sailed with a couple of women, maybe Russian crew, different countries. But there was no real example in front of us. And it was not that my family wasn't progressive enough. They were extremely progressive. That sadly uh, is one of the regrets I had that I never even considered it. So I think for women who are actually choosing to take this on as a career, they're doing it because of the passion they feel, they want to take it up, they believe very strongly about it. So who are we or anybody to say that a cargo ship 
is not the right place for a woman. It's too tough for her. She's not physically strong enough. Who are we to judge? It is for the women to, who take it on to challenge themselves, to push themselves and decide for themselves whether they are good enough or whether this is something that they want to do. And I think those notions of women not being strong enough to be on board vessels are kind of going away. People are agreeing and accepting that that's not the case now. You see so many young women, so many enterprising women, and I feel so inspired when I see them. They are going on ships, they are sailing, and they really love what they do. So why should anybody be kept from doing what they love doing? Everybody should have the freedom to choose their career. And that is the crux of the matter. Yeah. If you look at women seafarers, not many women continue seafaring. Not many cadets, girl cadets, appear for uh, selection interviews, for example, the visibility part. Now, what can change this? What can make them complete their sea time and you know sail in a safe, secure, and conducive environment on board that promotes and embraces diversity? So there are a few things why we have such few women. One is that obviously as an industry, we're not visible. A lot of women don't know this is a career choice. But for those strong women who actually embrace seafaring as a career and they go through the requisite training and then they are put through the test because they are not given the opportunity to complete their sea time. So that's the first big hurdle. A lot of companies have this unwritten policy that says we don't hire women credits. And the DT shipping cannot do anything in that case because it's an unwritten policy. So unless they're going to openly say that, no, we're not going to hire women, you can't take them to task. So what is the next best thing? The next best thing, I think, is to sensitize those companies, sensitize the people recruiting the cadets. Tell them that, no, you should not be looking at the gender, but rather the capability. And this is easier said than done. We know it's extremely difficult. So the first hurdle is women don't get to complete their sea time. That's very disheartening. A lot of women wait and wait and wait and they finally give up. For the women who are lucky enough to do their sea time, what happens when they go on to onboard a vessel where they are not welcome, they are isolated, they are made to feel like they don't fit in or they undergo some sort of harassment or bullying specifically because of their gender. This could include all sorts of harassment. It could include sexual harassment, whether it's verbal or physical. Those things are unfortunately not spoken of very openly. And we keep saying that the ships are not ready to receive the women. But what are we doing to change that? Women per se cannot change anything. They're going to go on board the vessel. Uh, they cannot change the way they look. So once a senior gentleman in the industry told me that the Indian gaze is very dirty, they look at women in not, a not-so-nice manner, and that's why we don't want to put women on board our ships. They are like our daughters. What if they get molested? What if they get sexually harassed? And I told him that there's nothing that women can do in that case. You can't change the way we look. But what can we do? We can sensitize the people on board the vessel to treat them as professionals because at the end of the day, every everyone working on the ship is a professional, whether it's a man or a woman, irrespective of their 
gender, their sexual preferences, of their um, nationality. So we keep talking about diversity, that a diverse crew is uh, able to perform better. But how many people are really going ahead and implementing that? And in that regard, in 2018, Vista International, along with ISWAN, along with Anglo-Eastern, brought about a handbook, a gender diversity handbook, which we placed on vessels to sensitize crew on what are the do's and don'ts to do when there's a woman on board. Now in 2020, we are coming up with an updated version of the handbook. We've conducted a survey, which is still open, and we're asking for feedback from women seafarers so we can understand what are the ground level problems that they are facing. We want to put it across, share these stories, learn from them and put it across in this handbook, which hopefully we will be able to translate maybe into a video as well to make people understand what they should do, what are the acceptable norms of behavior and what are the best practices that some companies are following that the others can follow. I believe this would go a long way in sensitizing people and I think this, despite it being very difficult and you can't measure the impact, you can't really measure the impact that sensitizing somebody would have. But I think there is a starting point. We need to start here and the ripple effect will happen. The start needs to be made and possibly unless you have a certain percentage of uh, women in the industry, you cannot start uh, measuring the impact. Something like a sanitary bin on board, uh, would that send a message? You know, this is the space is also uh, it's diverse and it's accepting of women. Yes, I think it's something as simple as that. Because otherwise, what are women to do? So we have to accept that when there's a woman on board, there's a new normal, right? There are certain things that would mm -hmm. need to be there. She needs certain facilities. And for me, the turning point. Uh, was when one of the girls that I was mentoring, she went through a difficult incident. So I was per se, uh, you know, pulled into gender issues. Um, there was a particular young girl who was sailing on board a ship where I had helped place her in this company. And she suffered from a fall from a height and she hurt her arm rather badly. But the captain kept saying, oh, you know, it's not a big deal and don't be such a girl about it. And when she would complain of the pain, and when she finally got the treatment, uh, by the time they got her to a doctor, to a hospital, and they came on shore, the doctor said that had they delayed operating her arm even for more one more day, she would have lost power in her arm. So I think it's that was, for me, the turning point. That was the hard-hitting time. And this incident I've even mentioned at uh, the IMO session at North Shipping last year, and I actually broke down. The reason being because it kind of really shocked me that uh, a young girl on board and she knew that I was her mentor and that I would probably have the power to take those people to task or to speak to the people in the company and to make a change. But she was so petrified and she didn't know what to do in this situation. I thought that was extremely cruel and that sort of situation. And that's just one incident. Imagine so many other girls go through so many different incidents and those stories are never told. 
So I think for me that was the turning point and I decided no more, not on my watch. And if I can make a difference, if there's anything that I can do, even if it's just a drop in the ocean, then it must be done. Not on our watch. I think it's heartening when you speak of, uh, you know, what Iswan, Vista and you've partnered with Anglo Eastern Ship Management, which I believe is the largest employer of Indian seafarers. So I believe uh, these small changes will definitely make an impact. And, and thank you for having done that. Uh, I just wanted to understand how is this on in, on, on, in Sitara, in Sitara Shipping's, your corporate policy, how have you embraced this? So I think what we've done is we've always had kind of a balanced gender ratio. We've had 50% women. And in certain cases, we've had more than 50% women. So you might see that we are a little biased with the other way. The other way around. The other way around. Absolutely. We believe women bring a certain skill sets to the table. And it's important to have that sort of mix. So yes, we, I would like to hire women in as many roles as possible. But at the same time, I tell the women who worked for me that you need to be tough. You know, sometimes women, unfortunately, play the woman card. We should stop playing that woman card. I keep telling them you are equally not better or more efficient than your male colleague. So don't think of yourself as helpless. And that's something that we need to kind of change because we're bought, you know, some of the women are brought up thinking, oh, you know, I will not be able to do this if it's a computer issue or a hardware issue. I can't do this. This is beyond me. These are just barriers that we set up. These are just limitations that are there in our head. That I'm a woman. I cannot do X, Y, Z. This job is not for me. It's not. It's beyond my capabilities. So it's always been my endeavor to all the young women who work for me, whether they are intern or a trainee. And a lot of them have moved on and doing really well in life. So my motto is always to tell them that irrespective of that, you should not think that I'm a woman and I will not be able to do this. You're able to do and you're capable to do so much more. But at the same time, yes, we don't discriminate. We have an equal gender ratio. And I think that's the way to go because otherwise we would be biased in favor of the woman. That also is not diversity, right? So that is kind of, you know, on the on the other end. But yes, there was a time where we had a lot of women and there was a gentleman who once walked into our office, one of our clients from Chennai, and he remarked, he said, oh, this is not Sitara shipping, this is Sita shipping. I can only see women <laughs> in the office at that time. So those are those little funny incidences or somebody once referred to it as a ladies' compartment. So these are funny anecdotes that we share with others who tell us, uh, you know, how our journey has been. And I think my mom, who's working in the family business, has always ensured that we have an equal gender ratio, but at the same time, we're not biased towards anybody. Yeah, again, I think that's very nice to hear where you have, you know, more than 50%. I, I heard of the uh, Sandwick Gender Award that you got in 2018 for the corporate policy of Sitara shipping, um, you know, for empowering women in maritime. Did that change things for you? Yes, I believe it did. It was actually the then DG shipping, Dr. Malini Shankar, a very fine lady who informed me that this award was there. I had no idea. She was the one who pushed me to apply for it. And because she was a very senior lady, I did send in the application, though I must admit, 
I just did it because I thought I should do it. She's telling me it was a little half-hearted. I didn't think that I would be shortlisted. And I remember being in Singapore at the time in May, where I got a call saying that you've been shortlisted in the corporate category, the final, the final three, and would you come to Pune uh, for those two days? And I said, okay, yeah, yes, I will. So I was quite surprised, and I went back, and uh, I did go on uh, to get the award despite. The other two finalists having done much more work than me, and Owen, the MD at that time, he told me later that despite you having done the least work, we saw certain passion. We we saw that drive in you, so we felt no, this is a girl. Let's give her a chance, and I think that's important for each and every girl in the industry. She deserves a chance. The Sandwick Award was a turning point because they funded my survey to get data for women in maritime in India. So that was a starting point because if we say that we want to increase the number of women, we don't know where we are. So how do we say where we want to go? So it was a baseline survey that got us data about the number of women that are working in different shipping companies. We also had two independent surveys. One uh, where we had women working onshore share about. what were their experiences or what they felt should be changed to make the industry more welcoming to them which was answered by a close to 800 women mm. and the third survey was for women sailing on ships where they shared their experiences it was i think 100 plus women who did that so these three surveys uh, gave us data to bring about the report and i think it was a great starting point because then we had the data for us to understand what is it that we should be doing till now i don't believe that there was such a survey done i am not aware that there was a sur- such a survey done globally and i'm very happy that uh, our dd shipping mr amitabh kumar he actually even made a mention of it at the imo and this year wista international with the imo we're conducting a survey to actually get data for the number of women working on shore globally so this survey should be out soon and me uh, fabiana and our president uh, despina we are working on this survey with the imos helen bunny once this is out it would actually give us real time figures about how many women were working on shore we would be opening up one of the surveys to uh, the, the member countries of the imo and the other would be put out to the uh, private sector so companies can individually go and take and answer the survey it would be a global survey across all the imo member states I believe these uh, vi- these are vital information bits that we need to be able to fo- further formulate policy or to even understand how many women are working across various verticals in the maritime industry. Okay, so the Sandwick Award sort of led you to the baseline survey, which gave you the what you call vital information to understand the baseline, you know the different verticals where women are working in show. and did you take this up to sort of make a business case yes so uh, what happened as a result of that maritime ceo was born i felt that there was more that i wanted to do and now i was in a position to make the change and people were listening so i didn't want to pass on the opportunity therein was born maritime ceo which i felt would offer solutions to the maritime industry which would focus on dni initiatives on gender sensitization programs So recently when the maritime shio conference that was to be held in march was postponed due to the covid 
the Netherlands consulate in Mumbai was kind enough to fund our latest research, which was on the business case for diversity in the maritime industry in India. We did a survey where we studied 104 companies to understand if they felt that having more women had a positive impact in their organization. This, I felt, was essentially important in these COVID times where we know that women are being impacted in a much greater way than men. Women were bearing the burden of additional housework even when they were working from home and they were more likely to lose their livelihood, to lose their jobs. In this scenario, I thought it was particularly important to focus on the business case to have diversity and for companies not to use cost-cutting as an excuse not to focus on diversity. The majority of the companies that took the survey did come back with the answers that yes, they felt they had better bottom lines, they had higher profits, higher productivity, teams performed better, there was greater innovation. This, I felt, was a great starting point. And I believe that such surveys should be conducted and maybe in more in-depth research. But unfortunately, there's a lack of a measurement system to measure how much change there is there due to diversity. And I think that once that gap is fulfilled, where we have a measuring tool, I believe companies should use this tool because it will also help them understand the importance of having more diversity, more women within the organization. I was reading an article in the Harvard Business Review which talked about you know CEOs having the uh, the most say in getting women on the board. Uh, but that article also went on to say that you know if they were to continue at the present rate, it would be at least uh, 2055 uh, before they brought any sort of uh, acceptable gender parity on the boards in America. Uh, during your survey or research, uh, when you were doing on the when you're trying and preventing the uh, when you're trying to bring up the business case, uh, did your report or survey throw up similar uh, numbers or similar information? Yes, I, it would it would definitely take a very long time. So I feel feel that there is also the need to have more women in leadership positions because otherwise. When we have, there's a lack of women in the boardrooms on the, those positions, men recruit men and then the road to, you know, a diverse uh, boardroom is very, very far away. So, yes, I think it's important to have more women in decision-making roles as well. Okay. And do you think affirmative action would help if boards were sort of compelled to include a certain number of women uh, with that bring about a case of or would that bring about a case of just doing it because uh, it is the right thing to do you know maybe women get on the board and they feel obliged and so they would find it difficult to have these diverse and sometimes conflicting conversations uh, and uh, also if they were the only woman on the board that also might make it difficult to have these uh, conversations so would then the argument turn around to one on compromising meritocracy? I'm completely against reservation for women. I don't believe that there should be a fixed quota or reservation. But at the same time, sometimes companies don't do it voluntarily. So what then? But as you rightly said, having one woman is of no use because that one woman would usually be sidelined or... I feel she would not be able to contribute 
a lot of time when there's, there's only one woman in the room and I have faced that situation, you feel sidelined or you're not able to achieve your potential because number one, you're isolated, your opinions are not taken seriously. But if say there are two women in the room, then it's kind of makes it better and their contributions can be held. Of course, a lot of women are very strong these days and they ensure that their voices are heard. But not everybody is the same way. So definitely against reservation, but also against having that one token woman. They say when there's a 30% of a group or 25 or 30% of, of a group in the boardroom, they have a voice. And only then they make in, can make a difference. So yes, there should be more presence of more women. There should be diversity on boards. But at least 25 to 30% where they can actually have a voice. It should not be that there's just that one token woman in the room and it's actually not having this. That's going to be of no consequence. That would be just doing it, you know, because it looks like the right thing to do. Uh See, we are still at a time, I believe, in the industry, we were still speaking of the first woman pilot, the first, you know, CMD of SEI. We have Ms. Joshi. We have the first president of Nautical Institute. We have the first president of the Institute of Chartered Shipbrokers. Uh, we have the first president of the American Salvage Association. Uh, so everything is sort of a first and except for uh, maybe, uh, you know, Katharina Stanzel, who's been at the top of uh, Intertanko for a really long time. Um, do you see us or when do you see us talking uh, beyond this first? Do you these have this conversation? Uh, do you see this uh, conversation changing? First thing, it's extremely shameful. We're on, at 2020 and we're still having these conversations. So first thing, shame on us as an industry to be where we are. Imagine we are having these conversations now. Where it's 2020. Look at the age that we're in and we're still having those conversations. I think unless everybody really takes it seriously, this nothing's going to change and it's going to take a long time to change. A friend of mine used to say that whenever she was passed on from a promotion, she would be patted on her head and said, oh, you must be patient. So there are two things. She said, why should women have to be patient? Why should they have to wait longer? So first thing, women should stop being patient, I think. I think we should stop being patient, stop accepting the pat on the back or pat on the shoulder and say, be patient, your time will come. No, they should be getting it at the same time as their male colleagues. The second thing, the industry really needs to wake up and push for more women. It's just not good enough where we are today. And those changes are not happening. For example, I'll tell you, there are times where uh, there was this one time I was on the organizing committee or the jury of this one uh, event. And they were calling uh, the jury members or, uh, the, you know, the organizing committee members on the stage along with their respective spouse to get a token. So when my name was announced, I was the only woman and my spouse was the only man. The poor, you know, the presenter, he stumbled and I felt bad for him because it was not his fault, but he didn't know how to announce it because the rest was all Mr. So-and-so and his wife. So for me, and it, it, was, it was quite funny, actually, we did laugh about it. 
and kudos to my husband who didn't take offense at all he's proud <laughs> proudly tells everybody that i'm sanjam's husband and i think we need more of his kind definitely we need more of his kind we need all the gentlemen in the industry to push the women forward not to feel threatened and say hey you know they are our professional colleagues they are not women they are our colleagues they are our uh, they are the, the they are the, a part of the industry as much as we are and they need to kind of get that space on the table so women need to push for space the men need to give them that space i think that's the only way we are going to get ahead okay uh you've approached many uh, people in very high offices when you were doing your research for the gender, uh, business case for gender diversity so do you think these uh, gender uh, inclusion and diversity conversations are happening at the highest levels i think yes now whether it is for the reasons because it is politically correct i don't know because i have faced so many incidents where people say the politically correct thing but they don't mean it but for whatever reason we should not focus on their intention as long as they are doing it i think that's what's important and i believe today it's people are talking about it people are taking these gender issues seriously okay it might be the the right thing to do the moral right thing to do but i think we should move on now from focusing on what's the feel good factor from the right thing to do that is the business case this is absolutely the the business case because that is when corporates being a small business owner myself i know how important the bottom line is in challenging markets you need to earn profits right otherwise how is the business going to sustain itself so unless you have a diverse um team then you're not really going to be able to have a sustainable business that is the message that should go to the corporates that is the only thing that a lot of corporates would set up a notice so for those who are cynical enough not to believe in diversity for diversity's sake they will definitely be set up a notice if you say having a diverse team is going to give you better bottom lines is going to give you better profits i think that is what we should focus on and i believe that the government uh, is now taking notice of it for the current report on the business case for diversity the forward was written by the honorable minister shri mansukh mandavya i believe that he is a young uh, positive thinking forward looking leader i do believe that he has good intentions and along with uh, inputs given by the industry i think together we can make a change and why not make that change in india we are such a progressive country i think <laughs> we should be far ahead of the others i don't like it when people look back and say oh you know india and we're still backward no we should be seen as a, a progressive forward thinking nation and that's what we are i think every conversation we have when we make those small changes we might be looked at as progressive nation not very soon i i wanted to uh, sort of you made a business case for diversity and that's what your um, uh, your paper sort of presents now if you were to summarize your the business case that you made for diversity is there something that you want to sort of summarize in uh, what you learned while you were uh, researching for this paper so yes we spoke to a lot of people we had a lot of informal conversations which is unfortunately not all there in the report but we i spoke to so many different people 
uh, I came across two or three different categories of people. One, obviously women, the very few women who have reached the position that they are. And those are also amazing stories which we will share. Those women obviously spoke about what is it that they did differently. So one learning I felt is important for women to understand or to learn from these stories. What is it that these women did differently that they were able to achieve the positions that they are in? Those stories. The second thing is what is it that companies should do? What is it that some companies are doing better than the others? The best practices. Those are important things to talk about. Uh, the third thing is a, a lot of companies really said, oh, you know, we believe in having women for the sake of it, you know, because we know it's the right thing to do. So very good amount of people who said, oh, you know, we always like to hire women. We know that we, we, we've never really thought about the business case, but we know it's the right thing to do. So they were not really thinking about the business case. They said, oh, we've never even thought about it, that having more women could have a positive impact on the bottom line. So once we get those people thinking on those lines, so that even the people who don't believe or who are not hiring women, once that business case is proven, then it makes it easier to push for more change. And then, as I said, there's a lack of a measurement tool available. We need to have a measurement system in place where companies can measure results, the measure change, positive impact that's happening in their organizations. So I believe Maritime Trio was formed to kind of help the industry with these solutions. And it might be early days yet, but that's the sort of change I see happening in the industry. Maritime CEO, I mean, uh, is there a message that you're sending through the name itself? Yeah, because CEOs in the maritime world are usually gentlemen. It's, it's the men in the blue and the black and the gray suits. So when you're saying CEO, it means that she can be a CEO. And she always includes he. So you cannot say uh, that when we're saying CEO, it it's, <laughs> does not include men because actually it does. And very few people see it that way. But I wanted to make that point. Yeah, it does come across as, you know, uh, there, that uh, there is some story behind the name. And I just wanted to understand that. So other than what you said, you know, collecting these stories and presenting them, you know, the women, the companies and those people who have done the right thing, but they didn't know why they were doing it. Now they have a solid case, uh, a solid reason for why, you know, to hire more women. So uh, what else does uh, Maritime CEO do? So we're just young, we're a very young organization. We just launched last year and so far the focus was on the conference, which will now take place virtually on November 23rd of this month. The positive thing is that we can have a global audience. We can, we're having global speakers, virtue, the, the virtual program that is there these days because unfortunately due to COVID, we cannot have a physical presence. Apart from that, what Maritime CEO aims to do is work with corporates, help them formulate diversity policies, help understand the culture, conduct gender sensitization programs. And we also want to bridge the gap between the female talent and the industry. A lot of time people come to me and they ask me that we want to have more women. Can you help us find them? We're not able to find them. So we want to bridge that gap. We want to bring female expertise to the corporates. So we want to be that sort of 
uh, gap filler and also for women who are sailing and who want to leave the ship and come on shore we want to help them transition that journey smoothly so yes um executive search would be one of the focus we would be doing and i think we will keep evolving as to the needs of the industry as what what requirement comes up so i'm very open right now to what maritime shio because she is there to serve the industry and we will be there to serve the industry in whatever way we can okay uh so you said the conference uh, was on november 23rd is that right yes november 23rd and it's a virtual one so if the listeners uh, wanted to attend it what should they be doing yes so the great thing is it's on an interactive platform so you enter there's a virtual lobby uh, there's a virtual auditorium which you can click and enter Uh, there's a virtual exhibitors area so you can go in there look at the exhibitors they have a virtual booth each you can click on their brochures download them you can watch their videos you can call them for a one on one chat so they are very excited the platform they will be using is stool it's a norwegian platform and very happy to announce that our keynote speaker is the foreign minister of norway Another good thing we want to promote with the conference is that co- uh, collaborations are key. So working together with different people across the globe, it's you know especially now in the times of COVID, there's so much that you can do because the virtual world opens up so many opportunities. So you can have somebody an intern from India working for a shipping company in Greece and vice versa. we want to kind of make use of this opportunity so while the conference originally was going to have 150 attendees today we can have so many more we can have women from all across the globe women and men from all across the globe log in and attend the conference and now that maybe there will be a few listeners of the even keel too absolutely with all that you're doing and you know you have a clear vision for the industry and you know where do you want the industry to get to you know what does the industry look like to you in 5 years from now maybe i would say 5 years is maybe too short but i'd say by 2030 i would i would want to be part of a maritime industry that's more gender neutral that has a higher number of women across the board but especially at leadership positions so my goals would actually be uh to kind of push up those numbers and to have it very it should be a very normal thing in 2030 that yes there is a woman ceo whether it's a woman captain or whether she is not a captain it should be a very normal thing there should no longer be the first women cmp mm-hmm. of sci it should be like okay it's so normal it should be a very normal thing to say and in fact we never use the same thing with men right we never say the, the first male hr head of x company so it should just be a new normal women should be part of the industry accepted i would not say that i would look forward to women only companies or an all women crew though it would be a good message to start with 
But I think the message is that we need to have a diverse industry. And that means valuing the contribution of both genders, men and women. So a gender neutral industry in 10 years and, uh, you know, women in leader positions, which use leadership positions where you said you need to have at least 25 to 30 percent to make that influence. You know, these conversations where we speak of first, that shouldn't happen, right? It should be normal conversation about the professional. That is what you're looking at in 10 years. Yes. Would you have any closing comments, Sanjay? I think there are two messages that I'd like to send out. One for all the young women or for the women working in the industry. Don't limit yourself. Sometimes we, we have our own set of insecurities or we suffer from the imposter syndrome where we say we can't do it you can do it so the world's your oyster you can do exactly what you want to do you just go out there and achieve your dreams but also i'd like to you know send a message to all the corporates out there to all the decision makers out there because they are the positions of power right now they are the ones who can truly create a change please be part of this journey please play your part in driving change I alone or nobody alone can create this change. The women can't do it without your support. It's the gentlemen of the industry who need to be with us and we all need to walk the talk. So you're calling out to the gentlemen to play their part in making this change, to walk the talk. Yes, we cannot do it without their support. Thank you so much, Sanjay. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much.